It's the T-E-H Podcast. Episode number two, 13, with Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com and Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. This week, Apple Protection and Vision Pro, AI is faking it. And yes, Taylor Swift. So we're back. Um, you know, one of these days we should really try and do two episodes in a week, or two in a row. <laughs> We've just come up with things so far this year that interrupt us every time. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's okay. We don't have to be there every week. I know, I but you know, it's, it's just one of those things that I'd like to set a pace. Anyway, um, have you ever been on jury duty? I, I've never been on a jury. I, I've certainly gone in for the jury duty day and sat and waited and not gotten my number picked, which is how it works here in Colorado. Mm -hmm. um, and plenty of times I've gotten the phone call, you know, made the phone call the night before to find out that my number isn't even in the range. Um, so I don't go in, but I've never gotten picked one time. I got picked to be, um, backup. So they picked the jury mm -hmm. and that was over, but then they called a bunch of numbers and said, we were supposed to go to the courtroom, sit in the back of the courtroom and pay attention. And if they needed to, um, get rid of one of the jurors, then they would start interviewing us for jury selection. Interesting. I did that. Uh, in mid-afternoon, they dismissed for the day and decided that the jury was set and they we wouldn't need to come back. So I got to hear like uh, the beginnings of a court <laughs> Interesting. case thing, yeah. and, but not into the, into the details. So that was well, a long I, time ago. I had never um, been called to jury duty. I shouldn't say that. I've been called once, but I got a one-year exemption and then COVID happened and, you know, things kind of went um, sideways. So I got called again um, this, gosh, uh, end of December, I got the the postcard <laughs> that says, yeah. your turn is here. Um, and uh, that's what I was doing last week. Um, I was in Voidir, where they uh, basically interview prospective jurors. And uh, what I thought was interesting about it was that, and I'm sure that this is a fallout of, of COVID, um, they did it via Zoom. So oh. I never had to actually go into the courtroom for that, uh, which was very nice because um, uh, this court is in downtown Seattle and that that would be a, uh, uh, honestly, that was more of an inconvenience than actually um, doing the, uh, uh, you know, having to do the court thing. Um, but as it turns out, um, I didn't get picked. I didn't make the cut. So I just had to spend you know, like four or five hours in a Zoom meeting. I will say that as Zoom meetings go, I was fairly impressed. This was one of the the better run Zoom meetings. And that includes not just, you know, the judge and the bailiff who was who was running the technology, but actually all the participants seem to have their act together. And uh, oh. unlike so many Zoom meetings, <laughs> right, yeah. um, where, where, you know, you get a a wide variety of, uh, uh, you know, you're muted or turn on the camera or that kind of stuff. So hmm. anyway, that was why, uh, that was the excuse for last week. Yeah. So, hmm. um, I have random questions for you. Yes. Um, there is this new device protection thing associated with Apple yeah. devices. And I'm curious what the heck it is. What does it provide you over what you did already had? Well, so this is called uh, Stolen uh, Device Protection is the name of the feature. And it just rolled out with iOS 17.3, and I did a video on it. And, and basically, it, it what it does is it makes it harder 
to be a, a viable thing to steal somebody's iPhone in public. Okay, it's not perfect. It's not a perfect solution or anything like that. But the the case that it's fighting against is something we've talked about before here, um, and that is when you're in a public place and somebody spies you from either across the room or maybe using some other technique, uh, get your passcode. So maybe they just see you enter it on your phone, right? They're sitting across from you, you know, and they could see you enter the passcode. And they're like, oh, one, two, three, four. Okay, I got it. Uh, or maybe sometimes they trick people. There's actually scams where they'll actually be like, you know, something and you're there with the phone and then they trick you into like checking your phone and then you enter in your code and right. they're looking for that. So they steal your passcode. And then they proceed to steal your phone or have an accomplice that steals your phone. So imagine you're in a bar, uh, somebody spies you entering your passcode, somebody else comes and swipes it off the bar uh, when your head's turned the other way. And now a thief has your phone and your passcode. And now they can do lots of really nasty stuff because a lot of stuff's uh, protected by those two factors, physical access to the phone and the passcode. They can go into, they can buy things they can go into different apps. They can uh, change uh, other passwords and settings on your phone. Basically, uh, take control of your phone, even turning off so, uh, some of the protections to not only steal your phone, but perhaps steal some money from you from a bank mm -hmm. account, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, easy to combat this, and, and it has been, using biometric uh, ID, so touch ID or face ID. Uh, if you do that in a public place, of course, there's nothing they can do to steal that from you. They take the phone. They can't imitate your face or fingerprint. Um, it's only that fallback of the passcode that they could get. So um, it, it's already pretty unlikely to happen to most people. It got a lot of media coverage, but the number of cases that it actually happened, you know, probably what a few dozen actual people are like, it happened to me. And then other people saying it happens to thousands of people. Um, okay, but I mean, did, did it really? I mean, who, you know, who's keeping track? Uh, it seems fairly unlikely to happen. Uh, I simply suggested, of course, never use anything but biometric ID in public. Mm -hmm. If you have to enter your passcode for some reason, then alerts go up. Look around. Where where are you? Do you need to do this right now? <laughs> you know that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, and can you just basically make it make sure nobody's watching you? Also, you don't have to use a passcode on an iPhone. You could use a password. So you could have you know instead of the numbers, yep. you have all full keyboard there, and <clears throat> you type a password. I find it to be, take no extra time for me to enter a password than a passcode. I mean, maybe half a second, but I don't do it that often. So uh, anyway. It was easy to defend against before, but what iPhone stolen device protection does is that some extra things. Uh, first, it uh, there's certain things, there's a list of things where you, if it's on, you cannot use passcode as a fallback. You have to use biometric to get in, okay? Mm -hmm. And then there's another list of things, even more serious things like changing your Apple ID and turning off Find My iPhone and stuff. That you could you use biometric, but there's a one hour delay. So you say, "Hey, I want to turn off the protection, the Find My iPhone, where I can like remotely disable the phone and all that mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. I want to turn it off." And it says, "Great, you can turn it off." Now there's a one hour timer. After one hour, simply authenticate again to continue, and it gives you this timer. So you basically have to authenticate twice using your face. Uh, once now and once an hour from now. Hmm. Uh, so even if 
and this I've never even really heard much about this, although you know people throw around stories, you know, of somebody trying to trick you into using Face ID, stealing your phone from you, and then tricking you to use Face ID somehow to unlock it. Um, if they did that, uh, they would have to then do it again in an hour. Right. Uh, after you an hour of you being like somebody stole my phone, and <laughs> you know giving you plenty of time to actually go in and do all the different things. Uh, to disable the phone or whatever, let alone just being a victim an hour later of somebody else, somebody tricking you to to show your face ID. It's um, both of those things, the forcing biometrics and the one hour delay are subject to location. So uh, it your iPhone already knows your significant locations. It keeps yeah. track of them for other things it's been doing. So it knows, oh yeah, you're you're at this location all the time, like all the time. This is probably home. It doesn't say this is probably home, but it knows this is a significant location. Uh, another significant location might be work, for instance. Um, school is another one. And if it detects that you are in one of these regular locations, it doesn't do any of this. It only does this if you're somewhere else. Oh, cool. So you go somewhere else, you're out in the world where this kind of theft would happen. Then all this stuff is enabled. Um, so that's kind of the idea is making it, oh, while you're at home, while you're at work, while you're at school, turn this on. You're not even going to notice a difference. It's now when you're out at a restaurant and you say, hey, I've decided while I'm waiting for my appetizer to get here, I'm going to disable find my iPhone for some reason. Then it's going <laughs> right. to say, this is going to take an hour, right? Because this is weird. You're not in a normal place and you're asking for something to do something ultra right. secure. So so a lot, so if you look at it, there's a ton of flaws, but the flaws don't really matter because the flaws are, well, what if your phone is stolen at a significant location? Like what if you work at a restaurant, right? And somebody swipes your phone from your, your back pocket while you're bussing tables. Um, and it's a significant location, so now somebody could actually do all this stuff. Well, there's the whole thing of like, yeah, so what you've just done is elevated this thief to be like, they need to steal your, spy on you and steal your passcode. They need to physically steal your phone. And now you're asking them to stay put, you know, <laughs> remain in this location, you know, which is the kind of thing it's like, yeah, thieves are all about risk, right? What's the risk? What am I getting here? An right. iPhone, maybe I'm Venmoing 300 bucks or something like that. <clears throat> you know, what am I getting here versus what am I risking? And it's one thing to swipe an iPhone and get out right and reduce risk it's another thing to get an iphone and like oh i'm gonna stay here hang around for an hour <laughs> well or just try to manipulate the phone in some way while right. i'm here at this location it's unlikely to happen and the idea is it's it's making it harder for iphone theft to happen right it's making it riskier uh for it to happen because not only is it like oh these ha might have to stick around to make it easier but also of course even if you don't turn this on just the fact that this exists and a lot of people turned it on in the last week right um you know you, you you're a thief trying to pull this off at a bar in a, a downtown area you're thinking boy i may there's a good chance i may end up with a phone that i just can't get into so you know it's riskier because i may not have any benefit here um and it's not perfect but no uh security solution is i mean you 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 put a deadbolt on your door 
and you could you know pat yourself on the back that you just had a standard lock now you've got a standard lock and a deadbolt well guess what you can still get through the door right it's not perfect it's just like oh i've just increased security. it reminds me of some of the um objections to two-factor authentication yeah um you know yes, the, very much the, so you can you can hack sms you can you know this is a problem that's a problem and so forth yeah it's not perfect but it's better yeah exactly <laughs> and some of the comment uh, i did get one comment maybe two but a lot of comments i've read elsewhere other people commenting on this people will say things like yeah they could just follow you home and then they're at your significant location and now they can, being close to your house, they can circumvent this. So it's useless. I was like, so you're just not going to turn it on? Because if you don't turn it on, then they, then it's you know it's just as easy, and they don't have to follow you to your house. You know, it's like it offers no downsides to right. at least security wise. It, of course, it offers a, a inconvenience downside. One of the main inconveniences that people do mention is the fact that people are going to be in the future going into Apple stores saying, I'm here with my trade-in. And the the Apple store employee is going to be like, okay, oh, you need to turn off, find my iPhone. And then it's going to be like, oh, it says now I have to wait an hour. <laughs> and it's going to be like, yeah, but Apple already sends out emails, what to do when you come with your trade-in. <clears throat> so of course those things are going to include like, hey, make sure when you come in, you've disabled stolen device protection Right. So you don't have to wait an hour when you're at the Apple store. And are there still going to be people that don't do it? Yeah, yeah, there there is. But it's like, is that a reason to turn it off and just be like, I'm going to use this iPhone for five years and not have this extra security just so the day I go to trade it in, I don't have to be bothered with, with remembering, <laughs> you know, to, to uh, switch this off. So it's just another little layer of security, another extra thing. Um, my... You know, if you're saying, oh, this isn't going to work for me, and I'm like, okay, great. So I assume you're using a, pa a full password, like eight to 13 random letters and numbers as your passcode for your iPhone. Oh, no. Well, why are you complaining about that? You're not, you're saying you want more security. And I'm telling you, here's one way to do it. And it's like, no, nah, I'm not willing to do that. Right. I'm like, okay, if you're not willing to do that, guess what? Turn this on. It'll give you some better protection. And you don't have to do anything else. You could still have your crappy six digit passcode and question you know, for you, whatever you're doing. Yeah. Does, um, does Apple require that you actually have a passcode regardless of if you actually use it day to day? Uh, it does require you to do it for lots of things. So if you're going to have iCloud turned on, for instance, um, you're going to have to have it. Uh, matter of fact, I think you're going to have to have two factor for that as well. So if you want to walk around with an iPhone with no passcode, um, I believe you're pretty limited to basically, you know, what a what a ten year old might do, you know, just uh, you know, taking some photos, maybe checking your email, uh, surfing the web. There's going to the be a lot ask, of things that you can't do. Yeah, the reason I ask is that um, Android requires one. Yeah, but more than that, um, it requires that you use it hmm. if you reboot the phone. Yeah. Right. So. So that means that um, even if you're using facial rec, yeah. Well, I guess yeah. You know, even if you're using facial rec, or in my case, I'm using fingerprint, um, you at least have to enter that code in 
once you reboot the device, which I guess means it's a little extra layer of security, right? If you're, if you uh, need to hand your phone to somebody, turn it off. <laughs> that way they can't get back in. But I just thought that was interesting. I, I'm assuming Apple does something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. You can't, you can't get, you can't just reboot the phone and get around things like yeah. that. So. Yeah, there's a lot of different layers of security. I I don't I don't know of like nobody like seriously using a phone could do it without a passcode now. Only if you were like really wanted to have a phone that just didn't have access to very much. Right. I think then you could disable it. Like, but if it's tied to your Apple ID, um, if it's got anything going on it that's going to need any level of security, it's going to require two uh passcode and two factor. Cool. So cool. Uh, two factor for your Apple ID, that is, that would be the. Yeah. The, yeah. No, that makes sense. So um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's not, not a big deal. It's like, a. It's, it, yeah, it's not a big deal. It's like, I don't know. It, I tell people, look, if you don't want to turn it on for whatever reason, but all the safety stuff before, just make sure that you only use biometric in a public place. Right. Um, and make sure somebody doesn't steal your iPhone and do all that. If you're, if you're already pretty cautious about that, then you're fine. Um, if you are pretty cautious about that, then you probably like being cautious and you may want to switch this on anyway. Exactly. Um, yeah. And there's, and there's going to be a big herd immunity effect. Just ha the whole find my iPhone thing already creates a big herd immunity to iPhone theft because it's so likely that somebody's stealing an iPhone now, they're not going to be able to do anything with it. You know, it's going right. to be, a, maybe they'll be able to get a small amount of money for parts. Uh, is really all they could do. And it's just risky. I mean, you, you, you grab it from somebody. Do they have that turned on or off? Chances are they probably have it turned on today. So it's just, is it worth the risk of stealing an iPhone? Now this is another part of that herd immunity. Uh, you know, in mo months from now, would you want to risk stealing an iPhone, even if you know the passcode, because now this may actually lock you out, even if you know right. that passcode. Interesting. Mm. Okay. So another question I had for you. Yeah. Uh, last episode, two weeks ago, the Vision Pro was the yeah. new, new hot thing. Yep. And you were planning on being there right at whatever time they started taking orders. Yep. Did you? Yes. So I... I did, and I was fortunate enough to get a uh, a uh, you know day one uh, Vision Pro. So I will be there on February second. <laughs> I have an appointment at the store to pick mine up. It's not till the afternoon. Um, it was disappointing because I actually you know at six a.m. my time was when it went on, when it went for sale, and I went through. I flew through the little process which asked a bunch of questions about vision and all sorts of stuff and right. scan your face and everything. And then I, and then I got there and it said, great, pick a time. And one of the, the first time was nine 30 AM. And I was like, wow, I'm going to be one of the first people to get this. And I said, okay. And then it said payment information. And I said, pay with my, you know, uh, Apple pay. And then it said, oops, nine 30 is taken. Pick another time. And I was like, Oh no. Uh, 1030 was the next one that came up. And I said, 1030 went through the, payment thing again it said ah oh, 10 30 is taken <laughs> and then i was like oh no so i better jump ahead you know not so the next one was like 11 i was like no 130 you know and then it said 130 is taken i was like no i'm losing it and then the, finally i said three o'clock and it said three o'clock you have a three o'clock appointment i was like oh okay so 
yeah, I have a late afternoon appointment um, on the 2nd to pick one up. So, yeah, it's going to be a weekend of playing around with the thing. So I look forward to hearing what you have to say about it. There's been a lot of, of um, it's weird. There's a lot of press about it right now, of course. Yeah. And, but a lot of it just sort of seems to be um, a lot of pundits rehashing somebody else's limited experience with it. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, right. So the thing is that until today, the day that we're recording this, which is Tuesday, January 30th, um, until today, there were absolutely zero reports of anybody really using it in the real world. Right. All Apple had was a bunch of journalists that they brought in to Apple offices for one hour sessions where a handler walked them through a demo. Right. And they, they had many of these. So some of the journalists had come back a few times to see successive demos and of new things as we got closer to release date. But certain uh, you know, influencers, <laughs> probably a dozen, two dozen, I don't know, not me, certainly, um, were actually given one uh, several days ago. So they got theirs a little early, um, but they had an embargo that they had to agree to. Yeah. And this morning hit the first actual, like real people, if you call influencers real people, um, you know, to actually be like, here I am in my studio or in my home. Mm -hmm. And I've got it. And let me and let's talk about it rather than being like, here's some footage of me at an Apple office. And uh, let me tell you about what they showed me. So I haven't actually had the chance to actually review any of those yet as of this recording. So but I do plan on doing it. And then, of course, Friday, you're going to go from having a dozen or two dozen people having had played with this thing to uh, tens of thousands of people all of a sudden um, having it's it. It's funny. While you were talking, I said, oh, okay, well, I wonder if, you know, if the embargo got lifted this morning, I wonder what's yeah. happening over on YouTube. Yeah. And uh, so I just looked for Vision Pro review. Yeah. And uh, yep, eight hours ago, five hours ago, two hours ago. Yep. <laughs> yep. So. so there's, yeah, so there's a whole bunch of uh, them. But even those, I mean, it's going to be a very limited amount of time that people spent there. Right. Um, very limited kind of experience. Um you know, I mean, I, everybody's going to have their own take on it. So I've got, I've got my kind of as a, as an app developer, as a computer scientist, as a journalist, like, you know, how do I kind of perceive it? What sort of things am I going to try in my first day or two with the device? Um, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, it's, and it's weird to think that it's so many questions right now I have. And, uh, but it, within a few days, it'll just be a whole different thing because I'll have had lots of time playing with it. So. so one of the things I ran across in um, just perusing the news this morning mm -hmm. was a an article on the Washington Post that basically was titled, Apple's new Vision Pro is a privacy mess waiting to happen. And I was wondering if you uh, had a chance to read that and if you had any comments on the thought. Yeah, yeah. So I saw that, and uh, it's it's a very weird article and a very weird take on it. Uh, so the whole idea of like privacy and what the Vision Pro has to do with privacy is, well, it's gathering all sorts of interesting data that other devices don't typically gather. Like, for instance, their exterior cameras, so it could see inside your your home, but so can you know the the cameras on our computers and phones and things. Um, also it could, it's doing, um, tracking like your body, like, what are you looking at 
you know, what are your eyes looking at? What do you, what, what direction your, your head pointed in and all of that. And the idea that, oh, you could be tracked this way. Like you could be tracked with like, well, it, it could tell your height, for instance. You know, how far are you off the ground? How quickly do you move your head? How do you tend to move your head? How do you, you know, move your hands? All sorts of things that could be used to track you. Just like when you're using a web browser, you're tracked because you're using a certain a computer and a certain browser version and have certain plugins and have certain screen dimensions and all this stuff that is used to ID you. Uh, it seems to be a weird time to bring that up because it's really early to be talking about that kind of thing. Like, I don't think advertisers, you know, who are like the biggest privacy concern that seem to be uh, in this kind of deal. Like, I don't think they care at all right now because so few people are going to have the Vision Pro for a long time mm -hmm. uh, that I don't think they're going to be like, oh, we got to track these people. And also, of course, it falls flat on a lot of other privacy stuff. Like if you want to really be a privacy advocate, you know, by all means, go and be a privacy advocate. But then realize that there are people, most of the population, that simply log on to Facebook. Like here I am. Here's my name, where I live, my age, and all my interests. And now <laughs> I'm logged on to Facebook. You know, it's like when you're I logged on to Facebook, there's no privacy I think I the concern there is is more about what I would guess to be informed consent. I would claim that most of the people yeah. that log into Facebook that um, openly yeah. uh, are doing so without thinking. They're just not thinking about the privacy issues associated with that until they run into a problem, right? Until right. something happens. Um, I think that this article is trying to um, front load the the information that's available on what kinds of things um, could be getting quote unquote slurped up by um, by your Apple Vision. Yeah, I mean, you know, right now it's not so much the app what the Apple Vision has in terms of data. I mean, think of the things our computers have. Like our computers technically know how we type, right? Mm -hmm. Are they keeping track of that? Or are they not? Are mm -hmm. they transmitting that data back to Apple? Uh, uh, almost certainly not. Right. And so, and the same thing here is like Apple storing a database of like how you typically swivel your neck. I, I don't think so, right? I don't know why they would. They actually, the one privacy thing that Apple has talked about is the fact that since you use your eyes as your pointing device, you know, mm -hmm. you're looking at something in an app or something on a web page, the instead of having a pointer like a mouse or a trackpad, or using your finger on a touchscreen device, you're actually using your eyes to point and then a gesture to click. Uh, Apple has already gone and said, hey, guess what? Websites will not know where your eyes are looking. Like websites are going to see that as all of a sudden there's a click in this spot, but they have oh, no cool. idea that you look. So that's spelled out already. And that was like addressed during the initial announcement of this. That's even so, better than a mouse because you've seen heat maps for uh, yeah. where people's mouse, mouse pointers live um, and where their interest is, yeah. Exactly, so with Apple already saying, look, this is the level of privacy that we're, we're doing right off the bat, knowing that the one outlet to the rest of the world you really have besides apps is web browsing. You know, we're protecting this. The apps, of course, they're all going through an app store now. So, um, you know, there are certain rules that developers have and all of that, um, and Apple probably will tighten those. It, but, you know, the idea the idea being that you're kind of protected, number one, that Apple's probably not going to, they probably have rules against privacy in an app. 
Like if you download an app and the app says, oh, this is private. And then the app is actually gathering data about where you look or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's a violation, right? Plus, of course, there's the whole rest of the world that uh, is, you know, particularly the white hat hackers, right? That are always on the lookout for this stuff and are constantly flagging all sorts of apps uh, on all platforms that seem to violate privacy. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem to me like the Vision Pro, yeah, it's got biometric stuff, but, you know, think about your phone. One of the things about your phone is that it's always with you and you, you could be tracked. And even with all the privacy stuff on your phone saying, you know, don't track me as I'm walking around, your mobile phone company is still tracking you. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's like, ah, I've said all the privacy stuff. Facebook doesn't know where I am because I'm not using the app. Yeah. But AT&T does. Right. right? Mm -hmm. So with a vision, Pro, with a vision pro, it's unlikely to be used as, as by most people as a mobile kind of device. You know, this is a sit down and use device, not a yes. walk around device. So it's more similar to a computer in that way. So, you know, if walking around with my phone, like I was today, there's a lot more of my private information being given out to the world because it was tracking where I was walking than the Vision Pro, which is going to unsurprisingly be like, he's at home. He's still at home. Yep. He's just <laughs> sitting at home, you know, and then tracking my head movements. Hey, he's looking to the left. <laughs> the, th the one there were a couple of things that I thought were kind of funny. One is the information from, I guess, a previous study on VR headsets that something like you know fifty five thousand um, users could be identified uniquely simply by the way they move their heads, um, yeah. which I thought was really sure. bizarre. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the other one was the concern that okay, fine, they'll not now now they'll start mapping your house. <laughs> yeah, which is like. Everybody, if look, if somebody broke into your photos collection, whether it's Google Photos or iCloud right. Photos or whatever, you probably have lots of pictures of your house, right? No need to have like a you know a sophisticated device like the Apple Vision Pro to figure well, out. Chances are, like you said, you're probably not wandering around your house wearing this thing, yeah. right? It's probably either in your office or maybe in like a rec room for some of the the 3D kind of games that they're actually doing already. Um, but yeah, it's not like you're wearing it to the bathroom or wearing it to the bedroom or all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it, it, like with a lot of privacy stuff, this is going to be the same kind of thing where at the one end, you've got the privacy advocates who are looking out for every little detail and they're kind of the buffer between the companies and the rest of us, right? Let them go and be really picky about privacy so that most of the rest of us don't have to worry about it. You know, I'm hoping uh, that most of those privacy advocates are doing it um, what I would call evidence-based, right? A lot of what we're reading here, especially even yeah. this, this Washington Post article, it's uh, speculation, sure. right? I mean, I don't think the author even had, um, you know, has a Vision Pro. Oh, of course not. But um, uh, the, the real proof in the pudding is, you know, okay, great. Um, let's do things like um, monitor the data that's being transmitted back and forth. Yep. Um, you know, is it an excessive amount of data? Can we see what kind of data is? Can we interpret that data? Those kinds of things. These are the kinds of things that I point people to just for normal kind of, uh, you know, Microsoft slurping up my keystrokes. Well, no, they're not. And even if they were, somebody would have noticed and because somebody's, you know, basically keeping an eye on the kinds of things that um, um, are being transmitted across the wire. So the same thing applies here too, I'm sure. Yeah. And you also have to look at motivations too. I mean, you know, for instance, when it comes to web browsers, you know, when you think of a web browser, like say Safari from Apple, 
you know, you, you look and you say, well, Apple's got no web-based advertising, anything, right? Right. And so they can go and claim privacy with Safari because they don't they don't profit from not privacy, right? Uh, from having your information out there. Whereas Google with Chrome, Google makes almost all its money through advertising. Right. So the motivation in Google, Google of course has a, a lot of privacy stuff in Chrome, right? And they have lots of privacy initiatives. It's not like they're ignoring it, but they also are counter motivations, right? They've got people at Google that are like, let's make things private for people. And they have people at Google that are like, well, we got to make money for advertising. So, right. you know, whereas Apple with uh, Safari, you know, they have no counter motivation. They can go and say, let's make Safari as private as possible um, because it doesn't really matter to us. We don't make any, mo any more money. So we might as well make some money in being the company that promotes privacy. And it's the same thing with the Vision Pro. Like Apple, I don't, there's no way Apple can profit off of somebody somehow distinguishing you as an individual because of the way you move your head or the shape of the room you're in. Um, you know, Apple doesn't, Apple just wants to sell these vision pros, right. And mm -hmm. probably sell apps, the apps that go with them. Sure. That yeah. go with them and media, you know, they want you to run avatar with your vision pro. Right. right. But they don't necessarily have any, you know, uh, advantage to tracking you doing that, um, you know, and, and selling that to advertisers because they're not an advertising platform. So I don't, I, I don't know. I think, uh, I think, you know, it's, it's, I'm glad the privacy advocates are out there doing their thing. But the other side of it is, as a lot of people get kind of paranoid about privacy Absolutely, yeah, and they don't, yeah. don't need to, um, let the privacy advocates do their thing, fight against the companies, make sure the rest of us share some sort of, have some sort of shared privacy because of that push and that advocacy. Uh, but don't get paranoid about it. And remember you know, when you're walking outside, other people can see you. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's all, the thing I always think is like you're walking outside, other people can see you and, you know, they could track you as you walk by, you know, and there's nothing you could do about it. You don't have any of that privacy. You go to a, you know, to the movie theater, you go to a baseball game, you're in public, people can see you. It's, it, it's, I don't know, the, the whole privacy thing a, is. Uh, an article, gosh, I wrote it recently. I think it's coming out either later this week or next week, um, basically why I don't believe in uh, conspiracy theories mm. that um, touches on a lot of those issues. Because yes, like you, um, I'm sure there are certain questions, certain people that just, you know, yep, they're, they're one of those, so to speak, um, who are very, very concerned about things that honestly just aren't an issue. Yep. So anyway, so, yeah. Let's, um, the one thing we haven't talked about yet mm. that I don't think we can anymore do an episode without talking about Yes, is of course AI. Um, and I the big news for the past, yeah. I don't know, a few days has been this plethora of fake Taylor Swift um, images that have been getting distributed on Twitter. I'll still call it Twitter. Um, and what it boils down to is that people were using uh, some kind of unleashed AI right there. No, they, I'm sorry. They were using um, Microsoft's AI to generate uh, fake pornographic images hmm. of supposedly 
Taylor Swift. And those originally got started, I think, on a Telegram group and then eventually made their way to Twitter. And um, of course, you know, for a while, Twitter had even blocked the ability to search for Taylor Swift as kind of a ham-handed approach to uh, at least reducing the uh, the exposure. But the other side of the coin is that, you know, yes, Microsoft has done something to their image generator that uh, supposedly plugs the hole that allowed people to, to do this. Regardless, um, you know, there are also what I would consider to be unleashed, uh, unregulated, uh, unre yeah, yeah, unregulated AIs out there, or if there aren't, there certainly will be, um, that will still allow this kind of stuff to be created. And it concerns me, mm. not for Taylor. <laughs> um, I, you know, I mean, she's given the position she's in, um, obviously she's a huge target and I think she knows that, um, there will be others, uh, many others, but you know, it, the fact that this might be happening to someone like Taylor Swift doesn't really affect me, but if it starts happening, if this technology starts getting used, um, in business and in politics, which has me very concerned, um, I'm really afraid of what kinds of things could be coming down the pike in what I guess would only amount to now the, the next uh, 10 months before our, our election here in the United States. Right. I was wondering if, you, if you've thought about that at all. And, and you know, gosh, is there anything um, other than just telling everybody to be skeptical again and again and again? Yeah. Um, is there really anything we can do? Well, actually, I mean, yeah. Tell having everybody understand that they can't believe everything they see or hear um is important and it's interesting this the taylor swift story is kind of like a, a vaccine against that because it got everybody's attention right That's interesting yeah. yeah so a lot of people that would never have thought about ai or understood what what is it what does it even mean to have a fake you know audio or video or whatever saw there was a story about it because it involved taylor swift and they immediately got and understood oh okay there was this fake these fake videos of taylor swift that can be faked so now when i'm number one now when i maybe see a fake political ad or speech or whatever um maybe be skeptical and also when somebody tells me hey that's faked then instead of being like what what do you mean i don't understand Right away, it's like, oh, okay, like the Taylor Swift thing. Um, My concern is that it'll be used slightly differently. I mean, the, the person you're talking about mm -hmm. is a rational creature. And well, as by and large, I think we know that a lot of people aren't rational. So when they are faced with um, AI-generated images or video, they will choose to believe those that align with their For sure preconceived ideas and they will call everything else that they don't agree with whether it's real or ai generated they'll call that fake um i mean that part is not new right we've had you know the very concept of quote unquote fake news um for many years now and i suspect that that is i think that's the real danger not that necessarily that any specific image 
or video will do something, although they probably will, but the fact that people will become so jaded and motivated mm. to um, uh, use the possibility of AI to bolster their position. Yeah, except, you know, the, those same people, though, well, first of all, they don't need AI-generated video, right? They could just be told. <laughs> I mean, that's what's been happening up until now. Right. You could just tell them that so-and-so said this or so-and-so stands for that or so-and-so did this or that something you heard or saw was fake. You don't need to generate anything. Like why go? Why even bother to actually create uh, a fake AI political speech or a bit of a speech or whatever? Just tell people that that's what happened. Mm -hmm. And and the same people will believe it. Um and and actually, that's what has been happening now for ten years or so. You know, people there's, believe it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, and there was there was actually so there was a case in New Hampshire of a phone call mm -hmm. that was made to voters that used a an AI generated uh, Joe Biden's voice, um, and that was actually you know uh, a recording was made of that and. It didn't come from Joe Biden. Of course, he never said that. It was determined that it was generated by some sort of AI speech thing, like we've demonstrated on this very show. I believe it was using the exact same technology and the exact same software. Yeah. And uh, so the interesting thing was is that uh, I guess the New Hampshire, maybe I'm guessing the attorney general there, said this is, you know, this breaks this law, you know, voter uh, fraud or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really serious. Like, we're going to investigate this. Um, so if we could trace this back, which is very likely considering there were phone calls that were made through phone systems and, you know, trace it back and figure out who did this, right. um, they're going to, I mean, they're going to really be in trouble. Like, it's not going to be all like, oh, here's your $300 fine. It's like going to be jail time and stuff. So, you in know, there is the idea that there are consequences. I mean, not that people can't go and try to do it, you know, in a way that they can completely get away with it. Right. But it's probably not as easy. I mean, if you want to reach a lot of people or do something, you know, uh, yeah, it's probably going to be a little bit harder. There's there's a concern I have, though, that um, and I think this happened. I'm not even sure where which country it was overseas, yeah. but um, something AI generated broke like the day before or the day of an election, yeah. which basically gave them. Uh, almost zero time to clarify or refute and certainly no time to track down the perpetrators. Um, and I th think it may have had an impact on the election. The concern there is, you know, something like that may happen. They, the, the folks on sure. either side, honestly, um, may be so um, motivated to take that risk um, in the hopes of getting some kind of a, uh, a result. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, it's funny because I'm also I'm on the other side now, too, where I'm taking a look at some images, you know, they're just scrolling on Facebook and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I wonder if that's real. <laughs> right. Sure. Um, whether or not they are, uh, whether or not they're AI, there's just some things now that I'm starting to to pay attention to that make me wonder sometimes whether the image is actually true. Oh, yeah, definitely. The. um Back to your point about the day before the election kind of thing, hopefully that means there'll be much more of a push uh, to do things like we do them here in Colorado, where, you know, election day is 
is almost it's like election day is the last day basically is all it is everybody right. gets their ballot um about three to four weeks in advance we're here too uh and by election day all you've got left is people that have procrastinated uh <laughs> a few people that have decided it would be neat to go to a, a polling place even though all they're doing is dropping in the same ballot into right. a box and not really going to a machine um so you know at, at, with every election higher and higher percentage i've already voted by that last day so so much so that i find it so annoying on election day to see all the ads and i'm like the 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 political parties like the national political parties have not yet caught up with the idea that spending money on election day in colorado is a waste <laughs> because almost there, everybody has already voted yeah um, unfortunately there are yeah. still states that have a you know vote on oh, election yeah. day only oh, kind of thing i know and there's certain ones that have actually gone steps backwards right uh towards that uh so but i you know i think you know i hope that I, I, the right answer is to actually have more access to voting and to be able to yeah you know, everybody gets their ballots and it's you right. know in advance and all that stuff like washington and colorado that's like the right answer that's the right way to do it hopefully in the long run that's what will win out uh and eventually all states will do it because there's really no excuse for saying oh we're going to restrict voting in this way and that way and all that it's like you know it's ridiculous and this kind of AI stuff is just another reason why it's like we shouldn't hinge everything on this one day and let right. one you know mistake on the night before the election throw everything like that. Right. I think yep. in other in other countries, I think some European countries, maybe France, they even have media blackouts before an election, like a week or two weeks before an election. Interesting. You there's no longer any like you don't. I don't know if it's media like in the news you don't talk about the election, but I think maybe there's no more advertising on TV. There's certain things that stop just before an election happens. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, a lot. So yeah, uh, my my bottom line for all this is that, um, regardless of where it all lands, I think that the next ten months are going to be, uh, quote unquote, interesting. Um, yeah. I think honestly, I think it's going to be a bumpy ride, and we'll see where we end up. In other AI-related news, um, do you happen to have a Google alert set up for any of your your like your name or your your or Mac most or anything like that? Yeah, I do. I do. So I have one um, set up for my name. The neat thing about our names, of course, is that they're each unique enough that we don't get flooded by a lot of um, false positives. Uh, but even for Ask Leo, I would occasionally get false positives. But then I got one. Gosh, just a few days ago. And it was really, really interesting. It was on a site that I'd never heard of. Um, and it was absolutely um, askleo.com. And what it was, was a, um, um, a, a credit. I was given credit for an image on that site. So you've got this image. Mm -hmm. And then right below that, it says sourceaskleo.com. Um, and indeed, yep, it was my image. It was one of the images that I, um, honestly, I'd created with um, um, AI. Mm. So it's not like I can assert copyright on it or anything like that. I just thought it was interesting. But then I started reading through the article and it had um, nothing to do with anything I talk about. And it, much like, you know, pictures um, starting to, to make me a little bit concerned about is this or is this not AI? Um, this article was just word vomit. I mean, it was just, 
Um, it was coherent enough that it was talking about a um, a specific topic, um, but you could tell that it was just paragraph after paragraph after paragraph of generated text. And um, that's the kind of stuff that uh, is currently in the process of, I'll just say poisoning search results uh, for a lot of things, because mm. I don't know, and I don't know that we ever will be able to completely rule out um, AI-generated content. I mean, this was obvious, um, even to me. But um, so I would assume that at some point, Google and the other search engine folks will be able to say, you know what, that one, no, that's been AI-generated. We're not going to do that. But um, as AI gets better, uh, that's not necessarily going to be the case. I just thought it was absolutely fascinating that, honestly, this entire site was probably um, you know hundreds, if not thousands of pages of AI-generated content um, about, you know, around a technology kind of topic um, that uh, it, it had no value for real people. The only yeah. value it had was for the site owner if they could get themselves in the uh, in the search results. Weird. So that has me a little concerned too on a more practical level. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, that stuff's been going around for a, a long time, but AI is certainly making it easier to just generate massive amounts of content. Uh, yep. pretty easily so yeah it is true that a, a lot of the arguments against ai are um arguments against things we've been doing before the only thing that ai has really done um is made it easier for more people to generate more stuff more quickly yeah there's uh one last topic i want to bring up uh because it's been talked about a lot la the last couple of weeks and it's apple's new uh app store changes or how they're changing the whole app store ecosystem and we briefly touched on this two weeks ago matter mm -hmm. of fact the rules came out just after we were done talking um <laughs> and two weeks later there's uh there's it's really they're still just as confusing as when they came out so apple basically in a response to the eu saying you can't have a monopoly app store for iphones anymore uh apple said okay uh we'll take your ruling and we're going to create a whole new thing to adhere to the ruling and it's just a ton of changes that will mostly take effect in March, uh, mostly affect the EU, but some are worldwide. Mm -hmm. And it, it, if you wanted to really summarize it, you could say, oh, third-party app stores will be allowed. But there's so many caveats that the result may be that there probably aren't going to be any third-party app stores. Um, just trying to figure out what's going to happen based on these new rules or even what the rules really are uh, is tough. And I can see that just by reading various articles about them, some of which contradict each other, reading the same rules and coming to different conclusions. Uh, basically, you, can, you will be able to have third-party app stores, but Apple's got to approve them, right? So, and they put in rules in place where you can't just be anybody just like I, I wouldn't be able to create my own third-party app store. There's certain things that I have to do. I'd have to be a pretty big company to actually make it and have certain assurances to Apple that I'll be reviewing things and all this stuff. Um, so it's very difficult to set up your own third-party app store. Even if you do, Apple's still going to take its cut. That's the one the that just weirds me. I mean, that that seems like it's almost, it makes the whole exercise pointless. Well, yeah, and I think that's part of the point uh, for Apple. Uh, they they've kind of they're not they're taking their own cut and they're doing it in a really interesting way by having this this core payment 
system. So uh, basically, you know, the app, the number of app installs over 1 million apps uh, is, is going to be 50, uh, 0.5 euros per install per year. So what Apple is saying is basically, look, if you're going to be small potatoes, just have a small store, we're not going to take this. But I don't know why anybody else would want to do it on a small scale. If you're going to be big scale, then Apple's still going to get uh, an amount of money. It's really weird. It, it, even if you were a company that said, we're going to set up a third-party store, getting developers to put their apps in a third-party store is kind of weird because when you put your app in the and the Apple App Store, um, there's going to be a cut taken out of it. And part of that cut goes to payment systems, right? You know, the credit card processing and all that. Mm -hmm. And a part of a big part of it goes to Apple for providing the store. Um, and then the rest goes to you. If you go and are in a third-party App Store, then the third-party store takes the cut instead of Apple. They have to pay payment processors too, and they have to pay Apple. So the margins are thinner. So the idea that a, a third-party app store can offer you as a developer a better deal is probably not possible, right? There's probably no way they can offer you a better deal than Apple and say, hey, you make more money distributing your app through us. Plus the fact being that you're probably going to get less downloads in any third-party store than you will on Apple store. So why would you want like the same amount taken out but for less downloads, this doesn't make sense. So I think that the way it's set up really is it's not going to be a three-tiered system where it's developer, store, and then customer. It's going to be the kind of thing where it's just store and customer. In other words, the store is the developer. So say a company has a bunch of apps and they want to create their own store to sell their own apps. Right. Then it kind of makes sense. Right. Like here's our apps. We're, we're a developer. We develop these utilities. Maybe Google. Yeah, maybe Google, maybe Microsoft, right? I, you know, I don't know. But mm -hmm. they, they would come in and say, and these are all in-house apps. Or maybe we're going to go in and look at the top 100 apps, and we're going to make versions of those for ourselves and sell them all on our own store. That might make sense, but not then allowing third-party developers like me, for instance, come in and say, hey, I want to sell my app in your store. Like right. It wouldn't make any sense for me to do that. I would just keep selling through Apple Store. Now, Apple seems to have already grasped that this is the case and that the number one use for that would be a game store, right? Because mm -hmm. that's exactly what you would think of as an example. A big game development company would have lots of game titles. Yes, They would create their own store and they would just sell their own games. Apple has actually provided a separate thing for that. I mean, I suppose you probably could still do it that way, but Apple's actually saying, oh, there's gonna be this other thing where you can actually have an app in the App Store and sell your own games inside it. So if like Epic wanted to actually do a game store, they don't need to set up the big third-party App Store thing. They could just create an app called Epic Games right? and sell their games inside their own app. In other words, in the, previously you would have to sell each game individually. And now they all could be inside of a store, inside of an app. Is so Apple's and still it's, taking a cut from in, they're in still, apps? Yeah, it's still taking a cut from all of that. But I think it's a slightly more reasonable and much simpler process to actually mm -hmm. have a game store inside of a, a an app by a game publisher than setting up your own entirely self-sufficient app store.
Could but, a game publisher like, say, an Epic, I'm not sure they would, yeah. but could they take um, third party like your games and sell them in their store? They could, but then the thing would be is like, why would I want to sell through Epic? Just sell directly in the App Store. Understood. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. it's it may yeah, be yeah. a case where um, you know maybe they can figure out a way since they're monolithic like that. Maybe they can come up with a way to make it. Maybe they still um, have to pay Apple. You know, uh, it, so it's probably be probably be more uh, likely that they would, uh, you know, be a publisher, which is what they are. So there mm -hmm. would be different game studios, and the game would come out, and it would be a game by this company that has the store. But you know, if you really looked into it, it's like oh. The corporate people at the office aren't making the game. There's a studio in Seattle, right, that made this game, and they right. signed a publishing deal, which is, you know, pretty much how games have always worked, the big games, anyway. Um, so, but the thing is, there's all these different rules, tons of different rules about different things you can do. Like, there's uh, even changes to how third-party browsers, the technology that could be a third-party browsers, lots of things. There's, I think, no less than twenty or thirty different major rule changes, and. How this is, you know, for if you want to be in the business of like game development, not game development, app development, or in the business of like studying app stores, it's fascinating to look at this and try to predict what's going to happen. But for the regular users, um, there's really no point in even paying any attention now because you need to see what's going to happen. Right. Because we just don't know. It could be like one possibility is everybody, literally everybody says pass. There are no third-party game stores. There are no third-party app stores. Nobody does any of this stuff, and everything just continues to sell in the app store as before. Or it could be a bunch of these things spring up, or a couple spring up and die really quickly. Mm -hmm. it, or it could be like two years of nothing, and then finally one billionaire decides to create an app store to see what would happen, and it lasts for six months. Like we have no idea how this is going to – and I don't think they Apple really knows either. They if they're – they have their wishes, I think. But there's another I don't scenario. Think they know. Yeah, there's yeah. another scenario that I kind of sort of predict. I'll just go ahead and say predict. Yeah. Um, and that is that um, there will be no app stores. Yeah. But um, whoever was behind getting Apple to make this change to begin with, yeah, will renew their efforts, saying basically that no, this makes it too hard. Yeah. Um, you, you know it it it. Meets the letter of the law, but yeah. not the intent of the oh, law. Oh, sure. Oh, I'm sure that's going to happen no matter what. Even right. if there are 10 app stores and 10 game stores appeared overnight, there's still going to be somebody that's going to be suing and, and pushing Apple to to change it. And, I mean, maybe part of Apple wants to actually make it happen. I mean, considering that they still make money off of the games sold in the app stores and game stores, mm -hmm. um, you know, they may want these things to actually be successful at some level and they may go and loosen things up a bit it it's going to be interesting to see what happens and what the fallout is and what these companies decide to do but i don't think there's going to be too much of a change for regular users right uh you know uh in, in the end because even boy even free apps you know i was disappointed to see one of the rules if it's right you know if i understand it correctly is that this if you put a free app up in a an, another app store the you know 0.5 euro fee is still applicable oh. so the idea of a like a bunch of uh open source software community people saying let's create an app store 
let's make you know, a bunch of these apps that are just going to be free utilities, but now you have a different way to get them that's not from Apple. Um, let's do that. But the problem is if any one of those sells more than a million in a year, then um, then somebody's going to have to be paying even though the games are you know or the the apps are free. Plus, what's the incentive? It's like you can already create a free app now. I mean, I guess there's rule. The rule changes are the only thing that are the incentive. There are certain hmm. rules that the Apple App Store has that don't have to apply to these other app stores. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll see. It, it's it's way too early. It's going to take. I I think we still won't know like a year from now exactly what the end result <laughs> of all this is going to be. Alrighty, right, yeah. moving on. Um, ain't it cool? So I want to start with an, an, an ain't it cool that's basically uh, cool. It ain't <laughs> right. Cool. Yeah. The reverse. Um, I am have been a long time sci-fi and fantasy reader since mm -hmm. I was a teenager, <clears throat> and one of the authors that I kept hearing a lot about that I had never actually read was Terry Pratchett. Now, as it turns out, a couple of weeks ago, there was a an offer on Humble Bundle. I'm sure you're aware of them, um, where they sometimes will make uh, you know, something huge available for not a lot of money, and then that not a lot of money ends up getting donated to charity of some sort. So they had an offer where you could get like 38 of Pratchett's uh, Discworld books for like 15 or 20 bucks. And I, you know, digitally, of course. And I said, fine, you know, that sounds like an opportunity. Um, and I've got them all. <laughs> They're all here on my PC. Mm. And I've read one and a half of them. And I think that's probably about as far as I'm going to go. Huh. I was, um, it was not what I expected. Um, have you read Pratchett? No, I have not. Okay. Well, actually, I, hmm, he may have co-authored a book that I mostly pure pure pratchett in the sense that this is his world his fantasy his um you know his writing uh solo and um you know it's it's light fantasy uh but it is um, you know it's got you know humor and, and that kind of stuff going on as well but it just didn't it just didn't hit me like um like something that really I was expecting more out of all the publicity. And honestly, it reminded me a lot more of Piers Anthony and the Xanth series than anything else, um, which again is, you know, very light um, uh, fantasy and, uh, but probably better humor if, if I, if I were honest. Um, anyway, so that was it. Cool. It ain't uh, Terry Pratchett's books. I know that um, people, some people feel very strongly about this. So I'm sure it's a controversial position. Uh, Mike, ain't it cool? Was last night we watched Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One, and um, it was two hours and forty-five minutes, and it did not feel like that at all. Um, it was a classic uh, Mission Impossible movie. Lots, obviously, Tom Cruise. Um, lots of action, lots of of car chases and motorcycle chases and train chases, and um, in this case, since it is it is literally Part One. Uh, you're kind of sort of left on a cliffhanger. Um, and uh, so part two, apparently either just wrapped up filming and should come out next year sometime. But uh, it was an enjoyable ride. If you like the Mission Impossible uh, series, you will like uh, Dead Reckoning. We did. Cool. So I I don't know if I used this already. <laughs> I don't think you did. I but, went searching for okay. it. I couldn't find it. Okay. So uh, it, I definitely have talked about years ago 
uh, reading the series uh, that starts off with the three body problem uh, by a uh, Chinese sci-fi author um, who is a whole series. I think Dark Forest is the second book. And I can't remember the name of the third book. Excellent, fantastic science fiction series. Mm -hmm. um, probably one of the best ever, really. Uh, so it's being made into a Netflix series that actually will start later this year. Um, I, it's going to take a lot of seasons to cover all the books if they, if they try to do it. Uh, but beating them to it is, of course, China because it's Chinese authors. So they actually came out with a series that covers um, up to some point in the first book. Um, and it's uh, 30 episodes, season one. And they just called the, they simplified it to a three body problem. It's just called three body. And it is available on, on uh, Amazon Prime Video uh, with subtitles. So, and it's excellent. And if you read the books, and I know a lot of people have, uh, it's extremely true to the books, which seems like it shouldn't be <laughs> because, you know, it's the kind of books you read. It's like, oh, if they ever made this into a TV show or movie, right. uh, they'd have to like, yeah, no, they didn't really compromise at all. They really just, I mean, it's, they follow really closely on it. So it was very good. And it, and it was, it was kind of uh, neat. It's been a few years since I read the book and it was nice to kind of relive the characters and uh, the story from the beginning of the series, at least. And I'm looking forward to season two and I'm looking forward to comparing that with the Americanized Netflix version. It'll have to right. be Americanized. Uh, and cause this is from a Chinese viewpoint so it's made right. in china interesting weird things like they never mention um even though it's a worldwide uh it, there's stuff that happens all over the world they uh never mention the united states for instance or any really other countries um but they mentioned like the north american command the european command right you know and it's like, well, the North American command, that's supposed to be the United States. They're, they're talking to the Americans right now, but they don't use that term. Yeah. And then, of course, the funny thing is, is the the actor that they got to play, the European commander, um, had an American accent. Uh, fine. Uh, the actor that they had played, the North American uh, commander, uh, had an Australian accent, really obvious Australian <laughs> accent. And I was like, why didn't you at least give the give the American, you know, the one with the American accent, the one that could pull it off, the North American command. I don't know. But besides that, you know, the rest of it, the core characters uh, and the core story, uh, pretty riveting, especially if you read the books. So check it out on I, Amazon Prime Video. I just double checked to make sure it was the same thing. And oh, yeah, I've got the book in my my Kindle library. I read it too some years ago. My suspicion is you you must have mentioned it somewhere because I would not have stumbled across this had I not heard it from you. Yeah. All right. Uh, blatant self-promotion. What you got? Oh, so I have a video that is about the very thing we talked about at the beginning of the show, uh, the uh, stolen device protection. Um, so just going through like how to turn it on and what it does. Cool. Hmm? Um, I just went kind of random here. I've got an article, how to read phone charger voltage specs. Um, maybe, maybe it's the electrical engineer in me, but um, the fact is if you've ever taken a look at your phone chargers, um, there's a lot of tiny, faint print uh, that tells yeah. you all sorts of things that you don't need to know and a few things that you absolutely need to know about the various chargers you have. So basically this article using a few images um, 
describes what matters, uh, what it means, and uh, how you can use it. It's funny, one of the more popular uh, videos I have on YouTube is actually about uh, the very topic of, you know, what chargers can I use with what devices? Is it safe to do this? Is it safe to do that? And this is an important piece of, uh, of information, knowledge, interpreting the, the chargers that you have at hand. Yep. Cool. So I think that does us for another week. Uh, yeah, that'll wrap us up. Yep. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you here again soon. Bye. The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh213. If you have a comment or question for us, be sure to leave it on the show notes page. The TEH Podcast is hosted by Leo Notenboom of askleo.com and Gary Rosenzweig of macmost.com and edited by Connie Delaney. I'm your synthetic announcer, Adam, from elevenlabs.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you here real soon.